Welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website as well as on this podcast. On this edition of the Xterra podcast, we continue our conversation with Simon Drake, President and CEO of the Space Commodities Exchange. Simon, welcome back to the program. Great to be here. Let's start with asteroid mining because there's been a lot of focus on asteroids. NASA made a lot of big deals about visiting asteroids. They've been to Benno and they're about to return a sample back from from that mission. Uh, So what are the challenges that are associated with asteroid mining? Distance. (laughs) In a word. Yeah, just one word. All right, let's put it, let's add another word, time and distance. The... The time and distance to get out to where a majority of the asteroids are um, and find the right ones, have the time, the equipment can extract the materials we want and return back to where the marketplace is. So, for example, um, my my theory on it, on asteroid mining and and this is my theory, and, and people will shoot me down, but it doesn't matter, is that in, in our, our nearest hope, and I, and I, and I speak of this in, in my lifetime, you know, our grandchildren will, will have a lot more fun than we will when it comes to asteroid mining, <laughs> uh, is that a asteroid that comes close to Earth, and this might mean, you know, from the distance from the Earth to the moon times 10, right? <laughs> which, is, which is not that close at all. Uh, anyway, so an asteroid that comes close enough and is of a substance that doesn't um, dissolve on its way mm-hmm. into our proximity, that we can plot successfully, go to, and my business case is suck all the water out of it right and then eject from it and in, intersect back into a, an orbit between the earth and the moon or, some, or somewhere near there so that way you you've got a successful extraction of resources from a visiting asteroid um or comet um where the where the commodities resources can find a, a use for us so that, that, that is my business case of, of what I would like to see in my lifetime. Now, getting back to where we are in reality now, it's a bit different because, you know, missions to asteroids, um, you know, they are just so completely, uh, in, insanely from an engineering point of view and, and a navigation point of view, complex. Right. And, and, and you know, it's you can't say, oh, yeah, we're there, they're, they're, we are there, yeah, it's all possible because there's so many more missions need to be undertaken to refine the process of getting onto an asteroid and actually extracting something from it rather than a few grains. Do you envision there would ever be a time that they could go find the asteroid, lock onto it, drag it closer and do the actual mining where it's not we're transporting the actual material or is it, it's, let's put it this way. Is it harder to transport the actual asteroid or extract the materials there and, and transport them back? Uh, I, from a physics point of view, I think it's just harder to, um, to stop it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it would take some energy, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, uh, okay. Or, or, you know, or to latch on to it mm-hmm. and, and do enact that process of latching on to a very fast-moving object. And the density might be um, something, you know, rock-hard, frozen, or it might be like, you know, one of those slush puppy ice, ice cream, you know, right. with, with gravel on top. You know, mm-hmm. and if your goal is water, uh, then you've got to somehow s- stay on it, um, bring your energy with you, uh, kick in the process of extracting you know, hydrogen, oxygen. Mm-hmm. And, and as you can imagine from an engineering point of view, not much of this has been invented that is capable of going out that far and, and completing that mission. Uh, the, the, the other side of asteroid mining, which... I think excites the journalists is that we will bring back a, um, I don't know, a gold sized meteorite, the size of Manhattan or something. And, <laughs> and, and everyone will be, I don't know, happy. Well, it, it won't work that way because, uh, it won't happen in our lifetime anyway, because, um, it would just take so much mass to move it. Right. And then you've got to melt it. And if it was a precious metal, and, and I, I'm a precious metal fan, um, that would completely degrade the price of precious metal. Sure. Dump all that um, back into the market and the price goes down. Yeah. Now, now I'm, I have nothing against where everyone can carry gold coins around the, in their <laughs> pocket. Uh, it's just that you'll, it'll take one gold coin to buy a, a liter of milk. So, yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> Whether this happens in a thousand years, I don't know. Um, well, all I know is when it comes to the business models of asteroid mining, there there are a few business models that I, that I've come across that are that are interesting, but from a, a technology point of view, it it is still way out there, and it's still it's still you know worth investigating as well. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I'd write off and say, oh, we should just mine the moon or you know something like that. Um, I found that there's two camps. There's the lunar resources camp, and then then there's the asteroid mining camp. And <laughs> you don't you don't want to be in between of them. It's like it's like trying to break up a fight between two dogs. <laughs> no, I'm joking, but you you get the picture. <laughs> well, the moon obviously is a lot closer. Yeah, um, and, which which and, makes things uh, a lot easier. Yeah, it 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 does it does. And with, with the lunar surface, e- even with the lunar surface, and I'm I'm also a CEO of a company called the Lunar Resources Registry, where mm-hmm. we are making a resources map of the moon, and working out how to register the right for companies to explore and extract resources within the guidelines of you know space law. You can't own anything on the moon, so in this journey down the the lunar resources rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there goes Alice. Uh, everything is upside down, um, back to front, um, from the extraction technology to the the opinions on where the resources are and what is of value. You have helium three, you have silica, you have um, my favourite is you know the the nickel deposits from you know old meteorites that are st- you know are mm-hmm. strewn around craters. Um, yeah, you can really go into this world of exploration on just of the subject of what is of value, what will be of value in five years, 10 years, 20 years, you know. So what's some of the history of what we've already done on the moon as far as, as 
any kind of a commercial effort is is concerned. Is it? It's all been exploration up to this point, uh, I'm sure. But but there are a lot of things that that we've learned over that that will be able to help in getting the lunar commerce thing going. Yeah, I I'll, I'll go back a bit to how has the lunar exploration helped us commercially mm-hmm. and. Uh, I'm going to jump over to the USSR and I was at a, uh, a museum in St. Petersburg and I was looking at a, um, a lunar rover mm-hmm. and, and I thought, you know, those Russian scientists must have had, you know, a, a very interesting time building a lunar rover back in the 70s, you know, before right. I was born. So even back then, the the concept of, of – lunar operations was supporting the sciences, building information, building careers. Go over to the US side, you know, you think of the um, the aerospace companies that, you know, pitched in to become space companies or mm-hmm. build space technology. So that's that's kind of my starting point of the the lunar operations have been have done great things for building industries. And where are we now is we uh, have been at a stalemate where uh, exploration dropped off. It was mm-hmm. picked up by the Chinese. Um, now, I'm not saying that it, it completely dropped off in terms of, you know, boots on the in the regolith mm-hmm. because along the way we've had India, the US, uh, East, uh, um, Japanese, of course, the Russians. Forgive me if I've forgotten anybody mm-hmm. else doing uh, lunar reconnaissance, which is all about mapping the surface and trying to find out what's there and, and how and how to extract it or how to appreciate it. So what are some of the primary resources the moon can offer? This depends on who you talk to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So many things are, it, it depends. <laughs> yeah, okay. The Let's look at the top of the pyramid in terms of what can you go to the moon for and bring back to Earth that has value. Mm-hmm. And the, I think the number one thing that I've heard a lot is helium-3. Now, I haven't taken the time out to work out how the helium-3 extraction process works. Mm-hmm. You know, there is some knowledge of where to look for it, but how to extract it from regolith, that is that is another subject. So then you go down and you say, okay, well, what are the secondary resources that might have value on Earth? And you could look at all the, uh, you know, like platinum grace, sorry, plat- platinum group metals, and mm-hmm. um, I'm sure the geologists will could chip in here. Um, you have all, you know, the expensive ex- to extract metals on earth if you can restrict refine them from regolith and bring them back to earth then there's a, an equilibrium somewhere for example right. i always like to say why make an open cut mine in the jungle in search of you know rare earth min, uh, metals that we use in our smartphones when you can extract them from the lunar surface mm-hmm. and, and not have any environmental damage so that's just two things helium three platinum group metals, rare earth metals. Uh, then you go back to, now we come down to in-situ resource utilization, which is using resources on the lunar surface, um, or extracting them on, from the lunar surface for use on the lunar surface, like extracting iron and 3D printing structure, um, ex- or using silicate uh, and extracting silver and building solar panels. 
So there's th there's different ways you can look at lunar resources, and it comes back to the use. Do you want to um, cater to a market based on Earth, or do you want to cater to a uh, a technology demand on the lunar surface? For example, a space agency can say we want to build a a habitat, right. and we want to print it from regolith. And we want to 3D print components. Well, therefore, a lot of those components will have to be made of you know, aluminium or iron or, or some mixture. And there's been a lot of work by um, scientists and enthusiasts on what technology is required in order to extract certain elements from a regolith to, to 3D print uh, these, these things. So where are the strategic opportunities then for, for lunar mining? To be the first. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> yeah, I think the strategic opportunity right now, and this has fueled the, the decision of my partners and I to make a spin-off company, the Lunar Resources Registry, is finding out exactly where the resources are and trying to put a value on it. In the same way that a mining company spends on average i think mining companies spend like 10 percent of their budget on research and development which is you know finding new sites finding new um areas and getting looking to deposit and inferring a value mm -hmm. at the moment that to me is the strategic value in terms of lunar resources the next thing will be able to have the technology that goes to an area and confirm what resources are actually there. Right. And that was so, my next question. Because when you look at, at a gold miner, they go out and they drill test holes and they find out how much gold is there. How do you how do you determine what's there when you're not there? Um, well, one way to do it is you is you blow off the dust off the Apollo technology missions mm -hmm. and do it all again. Sure. Um, and another way is that you um, find space startups with passionate teams, engineers, graduates, you name it, all the STEMs and the visionaries who say, you know what, we can actually do it cheaper than an Apollo mission. Right. Uh, we can do it remote. We can do it with rovers. We can do it with drills. Um, now, saying this is quite easy. When when I look at the, the next uh, ESA mission to drill uh, into a, an icy crater in the South Pole, um, and they, have, they even have designed an ice drill for it, it is such an extensive operation within itself. And this is just to look for water. And so we're not we're not ready to um, let loose fleets of rovers with drills and sensors and hyperspectral cameras onto the lunar surface. That's still coming. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what's holding that back is the is the lack of knowledge about the payoff. Because we don't know enough about the lunar surface. Right. A lot of people, from an investing point of view, would say, "Well, you know, it's not really going to work out." You know, so back to your question about strategic. My, I think the biggest strategic thing to do right now is to work out exactly what is of value on the lunar surface. Right. And we're not, and we're not, we're not there yet. I mean, there's different things you can point your finger at, and which is probably good. Um, but we're working on it, and um, I think that's half the chase anyway. You're listening to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton, and we're talking with Simon Drake, President and CEO of the Space Commodities Exchange. And Simon, how realistic really is the concept of extracting resources from the moon short-term and long-term? 
Short term, uh, when we look at our um, space resources due diligence, and we do this, um, I'm the co-founder and managing director of a company called Space Ventures Investors. We had a lot of potential investors and investors asking about asteroid mining space resources. So naturally, we looked at the lunar surface, we looked at the supply chain of the lunar surface, we looked at what's available. Um, I think short term, it is about sifting through regolith mm-hmm. and using the low you know, gravity one-sixth of Earth in order to sift through that regolith and start parting with it parting it you know seg- seg- segmenting it and and then using what f- small portions of it that we want let's say we can find the iron particles right you know or the titanium or you know you, you get the picture i think in the short term that is that is the best that we sh- can do and we should be doing right long term you get into different things like okay get the regolith um, bake it you know, heat it up, suck the oxygen out, um, melt the the iron out. Um, what's left over, turn it into bricks. That that kind of operation might be ten years away. The the the, the next thing is um, is what I call going after the you know the the gold um, mm-hmm. is trying to find out where the high-value targets are on the lunar surface. And that involves a different mining technology altogether. It might mean taking terrestrial equipment and putting it on the surface of the moon um, to, you know, go for high-value targets. And even then, that still might be the process of sifting through regolith. And this all comes mm-hmm. back to, you know, the geology of the Earth is completely different than that of the moon. The, the Earth had these phases where it was warmed up, cooled down, warmed up, cooled down. Right. Water went through, water comes out, you know. The moon was, you know, pretty much formed from the same substance as the Earth and then just got bashed for billions of years. Um, so it's just been pulverized, you know, the surface is pulverized and pulverized and pulverized. Right. So from a... A precious metals point of view, I say, well, you know, where was the last pulverized meteorite location where it wasn't pulverized that much? (laughs) Right. It wasn't like completely like. (sighs) Just a glancing blow. (laughs) Yeah. It's just maybe there's some fragments around. But. And and the, now now we're into conjecture because other people, you know, geologists will say, well, no, you know. On Earth, this is how it's done. And a synologist, which is the equivalent of on the moon, for the moon, mm-hmm. will say, well, no, this is this is what you'll be doing. Um, but you know what? It makes for an, an exciting stimulation of conversations mm-hmm. about how to tackle a subject. And that is what is also quite elusive about the whole field of space resources is, well, how do you actually go about it? You know, it's, it's not like you're... You're you're going into a great inland freshwater um, lake, right? Just 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 to get you know fresh water and some and some cute fish. You know, in, in some of your materials online, you focus a lot on the moon's craters. Why are the craters on the moon so important? Uh, I think it's a personal favorite of mine because when I started looking at it, I looked at it from a um, an investor point of view, and it might be a bit immature to say, 
you know, what excites people? Well, what excited people about the US and Australia was gold rushes. Right. And that brought in a lot of people. You know, they said, well, this is what we're going for. And, you know, of course, the old story always rings true. The the guy who made the most money in the, in the gold rush was the guy selling the shovels. So, <laughs> right. And, and then... And then when I think, oh well, you know, I'm I'm looking for you know precious metals on the lunar surface as a as a side thing right. in in our overall businesses, I think of Mark Twain's quote, you know, um, a gold mine is a hole in the ground with a, a liar at the top. <laughs> so, right. when when I go on this path of saying, well, let's look at the craters, you know, I'm I'm ready for the um the criticism, but I still think it's you know, plausible that there are high-value craters. And when we started with the Lunar Resources Registry and we looked at the data of looking at the topography where, where you could see a crater and the um, iron content or the uh, gravitational anomalies, you can clearly see that with, with a lot of craters, there's something that has been deposited there. Mm-hmm. It's still there. It hasn't been, you know, completely pulverized yet. <laughs> um, and to me, it's like, well, with the lunar surface, you've got to start with mo- with a thesis, right? You know, or multiple <clears throat> theses. You just can't say, oh, it'll work out. No, no, it won't work out. You actually need to say, well, here's a location. Um, it's it's a crater, you know. It's a kilometer wide. Um, you can measure the 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 impact size. You can estimate what hit it. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can estimate the inclination. Maybe you can estimate the mass. You can see that there is gravitational anomalies. There is something metallic there. It's not all just you know regolith. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, something is there. Um, and this to me is where we're at now. And it's kind of backed up. Because you look at the the missions of the Chinese, and um, they are they are really putting a lot of effort into this, you know. So how does that compare with the Mare, the craters versus the Mare? Uh, the Mare is, um, from from what I can tell, it's more of an even uh, flattish surface. Um, Leftover from lava, high in iron. So, I would assume that that is a more of a, an area for uh, in situ resource utilization, mm-hmm. extraction of iron, as an as one example, that you can then for transport, um, and build a structure. So, if you look at a a situation like that, you can say, well, maybe the 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 first structure to be built on the lunar surface will be built where the materials are most are in abundance and mm-hmm. easiest to get to. In contrast to the Mara, a crater, it's incredibly difficult to um, to go down. Right. You know, uh, if you look at a, uh, if you look at the concept of a moon rover, you know, four wheels or you know, four legs or eight legs, eight wheels, uh, how much clearance between the surface and, and, the, and, the, and the chassis. Right. To go into a crater and, and stumble over, you know, go down an incline, whether it's like that or like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're in a different world of engineering. Um, so back to the mirror, it's, it's probably a good location to start a first 
installation mm-hmm. based on extracting what's there given the the least um, possible points of pain. Yeah, I find it interesting that you talk a lot about iron, which people don't think about iron as being a particularly exotic metal. You think about the space program, you think about, I would say aluminum, you'd say aluminum or titanium or, you know, something of that nature. And and here you're talking about regular old iron. How do you take that iron and turn it into something that's usable on the lunar surface that people don't think about their cast iron skillet? It will probably have to be extracting iron or aluminium, mm-hmm. uh, titanium. <laughs> um, let's go. Let's go through them all. Okay. And and, and heating them mm-hmm. to the you know melting point, and then first thing is is making something cast, mm-hmm. and and then three D printing from that. And I, and I and I choose iron because from iron you can make real structures. Right. You know, uh, you you can make a, a skyscraper. You know, if you have enough iron, um, you can make something that can withstand a, a small, you know, meteorite hit. Mm-hmm. That that that's that's just one example. Yeah. yeah, I just look at it from a construction point of view. Is there enough gravity on the moon? Because um... As, as most people are aware, these processes know that it's not just heating it up, but there's got to be a way f- for the the metal that you want to fall out of the material that you don't, um, and that requires gravity. Is there enough gravity on the moon to do that efficiently? Uh, I'm not qualified to, <laughs> to say yes or no, <laughs> but uh, there is gravity, and that is and that is the most hopeful thing about the lunar surface is that um it's our it's our closest planet um as i was talking earlier you know asteroids a bit too out there Mm -hmm. the the moon for all of its you know negatives you know it has a a lunar night lunar day massive temperature swings at least it has gravity and if you look at if you look at it from that perspective and design mining equipment to say look we've only got one six gravity but it's better than nothing right Therefore, you can factor that in and say, okay, maybe the heating process is, is going to be, you know, you have to heat something for longer mm-hmm. to, to let it, you know, fall through or, you know, coagulate. Uh, yeah, I look at it as a, the, the low gravity as a positive because if you, um, it, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a positive element that has to be incorporated into any resource extraction. But then that heating also takes a lot of power. What's what do you envision as being the power source to be able to heat the material to extract the extract the resources? Uh, two main contenders for power source is um, the good old faithful nuclear, mm-hmm. um, and then the other one is solar. And by solar, I mean if you had a massive a solar field with, uh, that was able to direct energy to one source that was then used to, you know, melt mm-hmm. metal, um, which is quite an achievement in itself. Um, it's the same with nuclear. You, you, you'd need multiple kind of nuclear power sources in order to do that. And I think one company has already invented a nuclear power source that, that can work on the lunar surface. Um, yeah, those, those are the two main power sources that, are, that I think of and when I'm planning of, of how, to, how do you build a, a business model. 
Well, Simon, been another fascinating conversation. We'll pick up with another one uh, in just a little bit. We have been listening to the Xterra podcast. We've been talking with Simon Drake, president and CEO of the Space Commodities Exchange. And this has been the second of our four conversations that we'll be having with Simon. Next time, we'll explore the concept of the Lunar Resources Registry. That's going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Find us on the web at xterrajsc.com and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for listening.